week in sparkling water. I'm your host, the host of This Week in Sparkling Water, and my name is Iwakim. This episode, I'm feeling a little bit scattered because I was just about to... I'm living with this lady, and she went to a music festival for a few days. I was like, I'll record an episode when she's away, and right when I was about to press record, I can hear the sound of a door, a car door closing outside, and she came back, and then she's like, oh, I I got COVID. So she's like real sick, and yeah, she's an anti-vaxxer, and she went to a music festival, and she got COVID, and you know... I don't think I need to say anything about that. I think that sort of... Everyone hears what they want to hear in that sentence. Everyone hears different things there. Yeah. And then I'm and then I'm like, I don't want to get COVID, so I'm, I'm probably going to go stay somewhere else, but that's expensive. And then I have this way of thinking about it just about money. And I want to... Yeah, it's not about money. Or like something is worth... The thing that's worth more than money is long COVID. You know, having your hair fall out six months from now because you got long COVID, that's the thing that that matters because like who cares about being sick for a week? I mean, it matters. It matters a little bit. When you're sick, you're like, I wish I could pay $2,000 to not feel like this right now. So that's what I should do. I think I'm going to go stay at Holbrook. It's a fun opportunity to just stay at Holbrook for a week. Get the discounted employee rate, hang out, come down in my my slides, make fun of people. <laughs> I don't know, there's something funny about that to me, like being a server, finishing up your shift, just going upstairs and going to bed. And then in the morning you come down with all the other guests and you have breakfast with them and then in the evening you're their server. I don't know, there's something there's something about that that seems fun. Also seems horrible because it's like spending way too much time at work, but, you know, it's all right. So I was thinking about this one thing, this one work-related thing, which is like... <laughs> I... Um, I, I'm, when I'm at work, when I'm, when I approach a table, when I talk to a table, I don't want to get too pulled in and say too many things about me because I'm an introvert. But then there is this, um, flow chart or whatever those are called where it's like, you know, you're in one bubble and the bubble has a question and it's like, yes or no. And that takes you to a new bubble or whatever. And, um, there's like a conversational flow chart that always leads to the same thing, which is like, I never tell people what my name is, but then 35% of tables will ask me what my name is as I'm like walking away or whatever. And then I'll tell them and then they'll be like, what's that? What's a Joachim? Like, what's that from? And I'm like, it's, I'll be like, it's biblical trying to just shut it down. And they're like, oh, it's biblical. And then they just like keep asking about it. And it's like, so, so what's that? What, why is that like that? And they just like keep asking different versions of like, in America, you can't ask where are you from, <laughs> but they, but you can ask about someone's name 
You can ask a hundred questions, elliptical questions about someone's name where you're asking by proxy where they're from. So eventually I have to be like, it's Swedish. And they're like, are your parents Swedish? And then eventually I have to be like, yeah, I'm Swedish. Grew up in, grew up in Sweden. And I have to admit it. And uh, <laughs> I'm saying it like this because because I'm sensitive about it because it turns into this thing where <laughs> I'm, I'm always like, I'm always standing in the middle of the restaurant talking to six people. And I'm like, yeah, I'm Swedish. And then they're all like, oh, and then in the corner of my eye, I can see all my coworkers just rolling their eyes being like, this fucking piece of shit Swede thinks he's so fucking cool because he's from piece of shit Sweden, telling everyone he's from piece of shit Sweden. And I'm like, I was trying not to tell them. I, they asked me 30 questions about my name. And I, I, it became impossible to not, it became really, really rude not to tell them, you know, like it's conversational TKO. No, it's a conversational dead end where it's like, I have no other way out than to be like, whether like, Oh, are your parents Swedish? I'm like, yeah, my parents are Swedish. Oh, have you ever been to Sweden? Like when they ask me, have you ever been to Sweden? At that point, it's very weird for me to be like, yes. And not to be like, yeah, I'm from Sweden. <laughs> so, so yesterday I had two tables. They were both on table 32, which is the funny one. The first one, <clears throat> Yeah. After the second one, James came up to me and he was like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I noticed, I noticed what you're doing. Um, upper middle class, middle-aged white people. You love to tell them you're from Sweden. And I'm like, no, they forced me. Uh, but then there's this other part of it that's absolutely horrible, which is that they always then ask, so how did you end up in America slash Grass Valley? And then I, in an effort to keep everything short and not too long-winded and to not give up too much of myself, I'll say something like, yeah, I, I lived in China and I married an American woman and she wanted to move her, so we moved here. And then by shortening that too much, I always end up being like, they always are all happy about it and they're all interested and they're like, what does your wife do? And it's too, like, it'll be they'll all be bombarding me with questions and I'll just be throwing out some fun answers and stuff. And then we'll get to this terrible corner of the conversation where I've once again been cornered and it is now too late for them to tell me that I am divorced. So now I have to be like, yeah, my wife works. I, and then I just tell them the truth, which is what my no longer wife does not here. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, yeah, she works at an auction house. And at that point, I'm like really not enjoying the conversation. <laughs> and they're like, wow, she works in an auction house. It's like, yeah, she works in an auction house. Yeah. Really not enjoying the conversation. And so I um, try to, it's fascinating because when you have these conversations over and over and over, it automatically turns into A-B testing where you have an opportunity to think of two different answers and then you have an opportunity to try each answer 10 times each and then gauge the responses and then next week you'll be going with just the one that was the better response and then you get deeper and deeper into the conversation and it's like the groundhog day the groundhog day at, um dynamic of it is like a perfect laboratory 
for A-B testing things in this flowchart or whatever. So um, I, I, that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm at a place where I can perfectly... like. So what I will do often now is I find myself being like answering the question weirdly where I'm like, they're like, how did you end up here? And then I'm like, yeah, I'm married. I, I'll throw the divorce into the first sentence just to subvert any sort of, ooh, positive noise. And then you also have to throw in, but it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. It's been years. I was divorced years ago. Fine. just It's not a big deal. Just chill. Just chill, bro. Like, can we just chill? You know? Can, can I be allowed to just chill? Like, can you leave me alone? Oh. And I say that, but it's like, at the same time, I love it. You know? I say that, but I love it. Yeah. Um, fuck. I don't know what to do. James is like, I know what you're doing. I can see what you're doing. James is standing over in the corner by the bar. No one's sitting at the bar. He's just listening. Totally quiet. Everyone can hear what I'm saying. Everyone can hear me. I, it, it reminds me of how when I worked at Blue Star, I would listen to Elliot have the same fucking piece of shit conversation over and over. Well, I'm from Glasgow, but I'm really from the South. But but we moved around a lot. And my mom, and it's like, Elliot, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's like, I've, I've heard you have this conversation every day for all the years we've worked together. And then he'd be like, oh, sometimes they ask me like 10 times a day. And then sometimes he'd be like, if they don't ask me for an entire day, I'll feel a little bit offended. (laughs) And somehow that's where I am now. It's weird how it took me years. Took me years, like, took me years to be expressive enough that people asked me anything. The first three years of me being a server, I never told anyone of from Sweden because I was just fucking trying to figure out how to figure out what a, what the difference is between a tortilla and a quesadilla, you know? Just a Swede out here trying to trying to learn the real real American real American words like tortilla. Try not just out here trying not to produ- pronounce the L. You know what I'm saying? Um, but so the weird one is that, um, I had one table yesterday on table 32 and it was actually different because it was a, there's this very tall, very skinny, very old, white haired, distinguished German accented man that comes into Holbrook. So he's like this tall, funny looking not funny looking, funny sounding. Because a German accent sometimes, when it's a thick German accent, it's pretty funny. Sometimes he comes in alone and I've served him alone. <clears throat> and then yesterday he came in with his um, his daughter and her husband or something, some other old lady, like maybe the husband's mom or whatever. And um, he says this funny thing where he's like, he's ordering the short rib. So the short rib, you know, I've described it on the pod many times. It's a good-sized chunk of off-the-bone short rib that we sous vide for 24 hours in this deep, earthy, flavorful marinade served in its own consomme, this rich, clear broth uh, with achiote rice and hand-pressed tortillas on the side. That's the dish. And then the German guy is like, I don't want rice. 
I want potatoes. I am not a Chinese person. Okay, so I realized in the middle of that sentence that I don't know how to do a German accent. But you get the, you get what I'm saying. Just like a funny, thick German accent on a 90-year-old man. And he's like, I'm not a Chinese person. I don't want rice. I want potatoes. And when he said that, I was like, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> it's so, it's funny. It's funny to me because, ugh. Oh, let me just say this out loud, I guess, that um, on page three of this fucking piece of shit novel I've written, first of all, the novel is called The Potato Eaters of Shanghai. And then on page three, the drunk dad character who is based on my, the drunk dad I was raised by, he's he's talking about how we're exactly like these fucking Chinese people, but we eat potatoes and they eat rice. And that's how you set up the metaphor, and then you build on that metaphor for an entire novel about all the politics of how we are different, even though we are all the same. And the duality of the Swedish perspective of how Swedes feel worse than everyone else, while telling themselves that they are better than everyone else, while saying out loud that all people are exactly the same. And then really sort of unpacking the built-in paradoxes of that while using a metaphor with the metaphor of rice and potatoes. So when he brought that up, I was like, oh, shit, we're flying very close to my thesis here. You know, we're, we're flying very close to my original content. So then we end up having this long conversation and he he was like, yeah, I lived in China forever. I lived in Urumuchi. And I was like, oh, Urumuchi? The fucking capital of Xinjiang province, bro? And this 90-year-old man is like, no one ever knows where Urumuchi is. <laughs> and then his kids were trying to apologize for him and stuff and being like, oh, yeah, he's not very PC. And they were trying, and he kept saying over and over that he was German, even though I kind of know. But the kids were trying to apologize for him as if he was embarrassing himself, but really him and me, because the kids are Americans, really him and me, there was something there. And it was nice as fuck. And we saw each other and we felt the loneliness of it. The loneliness pulled away for a moment. And I'm 35 years old and he's 90 years old. And he's very confused and I'm very busy. And I told him I'm lying to them about my wife. I don't have a wife. There's a lot of problems in the room, but all of that through the thicket, through the jungle of all of those problems, we looked each other in the eye and there was something there and we felt good about it. And they're like, he's not very PC. And I looked him in the eye and it was like, that doesn't, it's fine. The funny thing too, is like, we never get Asians in there. I had six Chinese people sitting one table over listening to the whole thing. So confusing. And then and then I um I gave him a copy of my novel. Second time I've ever done that. First time I did it. I I uh, talked about it at length on the pod. And after after I gave out the first copy, I I keep a couple copies in the office, you know. Honestly, I didn't I didn't keep a couple copies in the office. I was gonna, so I had them in my car. So in the middle of my shift, I had to be like, hey, you guys, look at my table. It's just 
just hold it down for a minute. I got to go to my car. And I had to walk down the street all the way to South Pine, to the parking lot in front of South Pine, get in my car, grab a couple copies. And I gave a, a copy to the German, and he's like, yeah, I like reading. I like reading. And he's like, sign it for me, and I signed it. And we talked about beer, because he was a... Um, he was a builder of hops process. He was he built hops processing plants. He was a German engineer, and I was like, so someone once told me that that Qingdao, back in the day, a hundred years ago, that it was built by Germans. That the Germans traveled to China and taught the Chinese how to make beer, and they helped them build the Qingdao plant, and that's why it's a German style beer. And when I said that like a tiny manly tear formed in the corner of his eye because he felt recognized and seen like he mattered and that he came from a lineage of people who matter and that that he still exists even though he's an old man living alone in Grass Valley. And his kids visit him from other... His kids are Americans. They don't understand, you know? So he's alone. Like, he's he's truly alone in this world. But I told him about the old beer processing plant in Qingdao. And, and he said, yeah, that's what happened. We built that. And the, everyone else at the table were talking over us, but it didn't matter, you know? Because there was just him and me. There was just him and me in that moment, and it was beautiful. And I've learned how to sign a book now because it's like, you don't overthink it. I just wrote, for Paul, I hope you love it. Joachim, that's it. You don't have to make it all good. Yeah. It was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. And then James comes over and he's like, I can see what you're doing. You're just, because then they tip me real good, you know? <laughs> uh, I don't want potato. I mean, no, I don't want rice. I want potatoes. I'm not Chinese. Uh, I don't know. I've gotten deep into the flow chart of that conversation. I like the first 30 things that I say in that quick conversation, I have maximized them for, for fun and interest and titillation. I make it titillating. It's very titillating to be seated at my table, I tell you. Because <clears throat> it's, you know, I'm shadow boxing, you know, it's, it's dynamic. You know, I'll, I'll riff with you. I'll riff with you if you got some riffs in you, for sure. And if you're going to start talking to me about rice and potatoes and the Chinese, I mean, Jesus... I'll go all the way with you. I'll stand with you at the top of the mountain and I'll look down on all of it. And then you can just walk away and, and it's like, it's just so... There's something so poetic about not asking to break the format. To do something crazy within the format and then not break the format. And just accept that the format is that we're not friends. You're going to walk out of here. And we're not, we're not hanging out, you know? I'm just your server and we're at a restaurant and there's a format here. And within that format, we're going to do something crazy, but 
I don't know. I guess giving him my novel is breaking the format a little bit, but but he talked. He told me some crazy stories about Xinjiang. It's like yeah, yeah, small flying these small planes and like the pilot is all pilot is all wasted and has never done it before. You know, you get stuck in the mountains for days because the weather is shitty. Yeah. Anyway, let's drink a water. Today we're doing disgusting tropical pineapple coconut from Clover Valley. Just an assortment of tropical waters that sound disgusting to me. Ah, yes. That it rings true the thing about coconut and how coconut flavored sparkling water is like something that should be a topical. It should be something you rub on your skin. Ooh, pineapple is nice though. Ooh. Wow, that's sweet. It's so sweet that it like hurts my jaw. Oh. It like hurts my esophagus because it's so there's so much aspartame in that. Yeah, so that's like a that's like a two out of ten. Um so I had these days where Friday and Saturday I was so busy and I walked probably almost 20,000 steps and, and I just, on Sunday, I honestly, I was like, I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I can do it. I um, was going to text them and be like, you got three other people there. Can you guys just do it without me? Cause that's normally fine. But then they, before I could text that, Doug texted me and was like, tonight's going to be fucking insane. It's like we got five different groups of ten coming in at the same time. So I had to go and it was insane again. It was insane again. And I like, my legs, you know, you're so like overexerted that you're trying to walk, but your legs just literally feel heavy. Like bags, like you, there's bags of groceries inside of your legs. Such a crazy feeling. When you just... And my eyes are just burning and I can't smile. And then when I'm in that mood, God, some shit happened and people were shitty to me. And I fucking got so mad at people. And then I go in the kitchen and they yelled at me so much. Because this one guy wanted french fries instead of uh, potato wedges with a tri-tip. Like, that's the fucking worst thing you've ever heard. Which they get mad about. So I asked Chef if we can do it. I fucking... I'm, this is how organized I am. I wrote down a list of policy questions, emailed them to Chef. Chef was too tired to talk about it. So I push him on it week after week. And then a week later, I make us have a meeting about policy questions. And in the meeting, he admits, okay, so we can do French fries with tri-tip. And then I, <laughs> why am I even talking about this? Dude, I cannot describe this, but then I ring it in. I just ring it in. And then I go back there, and the moment I open those flappy, flappy doors to the kitchen, five people scream at me at the top of their lungs, just their own separate string of abusive verbal shit about, like, you can get the fuck out of here with your fucking french fries. Like, five people at the exact same time just screaming at me. And that moment was so obliterative and so, like, annihilating that... I immediately was compressed down to a tiny, tiny little cube of failure. And that was what I was. And then I haven't felt normal since. 
It's been less than 24 hours since that, since I flapped open those flappy, flappy doors and all those people yelled at me. They yelled at me so bad that, <laughs> and I held it together and I was like, look, chef said this is okay. And then I just start cussing them out and I'm like, Lilith, you can get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> so fucking good. <laughs> you can get the fuck out of my face with your yelling. And I... I ever since I've been daydreaming about how if it ever, like I've just been fantasizing in my head, if it ever happens again, I'm going to climb up on the stainless steel counter and then I'm going to climb up on the shelf above the counter that's in the middle of the room, the shelf that divides the half of it, which is the line where everything is cooked and the other half where everything is completed. And I'm going to stand on that and I'm going to fucking scream at the top of my lungs at all of them. And I'm going to scream crazy things that Takashi 69 says. You know, Takashi 69 is always like, I'm going I'm to put you to bed. I'm going to tuck you in. I'm going to kiss you on the forehead. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> he says like the weirdest, softest stuff in the most aggressive way. Because that's the key. Because if you yell like, you can fucking suck my dick. Then later, someone can say that to corporate. He told me he could suck my dick. And then you get in trouble. But if you yell Takashi 69 stuff about tucking people in and putting them to bed and going out for a walk with them, you know, then when that gets repeated to corporate, they have to be like, well, he yelled it really aggressive. He said he was going to tuck me in and put me to sleep and kiss me on the forehead, but he said it really aggressive. It doesn't like, in an email to corporate, that doesn't have the same, you don't get fired, you know? Because it's more like, what do you mean put you to bed? Was there a bed? Was there a bed there? Were you in a, were you in one of the hotel rooms? And it's like, no. <laughs> you don't get in trouble if you just yell something nice but yell it in an abusive way that's what i learned from my ex-wife and then people are like but i don't understand what she did to make you feel so bad it's like yeah well she learned that she couldn't say the actual abusive stuff so she just said it in an abusive way and she did it every day and she did it for hours and that's what you learn and that's what you don't say to your table when they ask how you ended up in america well, so I was living in China for 10 years and I married this American woman and she wanted to go to grad school. So we moved to Seattle and then I got a divorce. And what I learned in the divorce is that you can yell something nice, but you can yell it in an abusive way. And then you don't get in trouble. You don't get in trouble, but the person still feels horrible. And if Lilith ever yells at me again, I'm going to fucking stand up on the fucking piece of shit stainless steel shelf. And I'm going to fucking throw a fucking plate in her face. I'm gonna be like, I'm not gonna throw a plate in your face. I'm gonna be like, hey, <laughs> hey, 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 I'm gonna tuck you in. I'm gonna put you to bed and I'm gonna kiss you on the forehead. Oh God. Anyway, so I had to do it. Again. I had to do it again yesterday. And then yesterday, my eyes were just burning and I wanted to go home. And then right as I was about to leave, James just springs this thing on me where he's like, hey, you wanna. You want to be the closer? I'm the closer, but you want to do it because I'm tired. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I did it. So I was there late. But so um, what I was going to say about that is that I came home from work and I was in this mood where I was clearly had worked harder than I should have and made plenty of money. And I I was too tired to do anything meaningful. So I was just like, then, then that gives rise to this very, very simple question, <clears throat> which is like, so what do you enjoy doing? When you want to relax, what do you like to do? 
you know? What do I, oh my God, I had a flashback to the, oh God, I had a flashback to this other table where some, some cool looking skater looking lady sat down and Tristan pulled me aside and was like, that lady is a professional snowboarder. And I go up there and they were, and I was being really funny. And then when I came back, they were like, you're a very interesting person. Not that we've been talking about that or nothing. And then my face got all red because apparently they've been talking about what a fucking weirdo I am. And then it is rolled with it. And then we really, then we got went deep and I was like, hey, yeah, you picked up one of our staff members here because she was hitchhiking. And then we went and talked through all the stuff we like to do. And I told them about the novel too because they were like, what do you like to do? I like to snowboard. He's a fucking, he's a fucking professional biker. What do you like to do? And then I had to be like, well, I, oh God, I'm a one trick pony and the trick is like fucking not very good. So the point is that I came home from work and I was like, what do I like to do? So then I'm like, there are movies that I want to watch that I don't rent because it's like $20 to rent them. And so I rented a movie. I rented This Is Guilty Pleasure Time. What was the guilty pleasure I was talking about last time? Oh, guilty pleasure last time was watching a Roe v. Wade protest collision where the fucking pro-choice guy roundhouse kicks the lady in the head. Just like, you were not supposed to roundhouse kick the pro-lifers in the head, but we might want to, but we shouldn't. About watching pe- videos of people do it, I mean, yeah. It's the very definition of a guilty pleasure. Something else which is a guilty pleasure is to watch Doctor Strange and the Madness of the Multiverse. Because that's not a very smart movie. But it's a very high-budget movie, and it's cool. And so I paid $20 or something to rent this movie, and I and I watch it, and um, it's good. It does the thing I needed to do. Like, I was anxious and stressed out and overtired, and I needed something that was interesting and and stimulating and powerful enough to 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 not have me check my phone while watching a thing. Because I can't be in that state where I'm like checking my phone while watching a thing, because that's a miserable state. So I put my phone away and I watched it. And you start it, and it's immediately just like a guy falling through some weird world and then he hits a mirror and he just is falling through a completely different world now. And then he hits another mirror and now he's falling through another world. And you're just looking at it like, whoa, what is that world? Whoa, what is that world? And the whole thing is edited like a music video at that, in that pace or like a commercial. And that pace is really like, it's so engaging. It's like a TikTok video. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then it takes a little break and they have an actual conversation and stuff. And I mean, as I, I dislike Benedict Cumberbatch as much as anyone else, you know. Don't get me wrong. I hate that guy. But it's a good movie. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this goes, the weird thing is I also watched Lightyear um, last week because I'm a Disney adult, turns out. Madison tells me I'm a Disney adult. Um, so we watched Lightyear and I watched Doctor Strange and... There's a, a hilarious similarity between them where these are both movies where there's a franchise, a legacy franchise that's old where the built around a main character who's a straight white guy. Okay. Straight white guy. So there's a straight white guy hangover. Like we are, 
there's a hangover. We did something wrong in the past. And now the hangover is that we have to deal with these legacy franchises where the main thing, main character is a straight white guy. So they have to work against, they have to, that's a problem. And the whole movie is a, an attempt to solve that problem. So in both movies, there's a counterpart character. There's another, not main character, but another character. And they walk next to each other for the whole movie. And that other character, they try to bake so much wokeness into that other character. And I'll go through in both cases. but And in both cases, it's like none of the wokeness is ever acknowledged. No, no. Okay, how do I explain this? The craziest example is that, so in Doctor Strange, they fall through all these universes and then he has this sidekick and she's like, this uh, short, funny, little, nice Mexican lady, right? And um, they fall through all these universes and then they get to some sort of future New York where there's this weird service where there's something on the sidewalk that looks almost like a manhole cover, but it's glowing. And if you stand on it, there's this high-tech futuristic service where a robot voice is like, we'll replay a significant memory for you so that you don't have to remember it. We'll replay it to you. We remember so you don't have to or something like that. So it's like such a heavy-handed, hammy, shitty poorly written way to do exposition like where you want to tell someone's backstory but you don't know how to like crowbar it into the situation in a way that feels natural so you invent a manhole high-tech service in the future where where you step on the manhole cover and then the origin story is is played and it takes like six seconds to tell someone's background story so fucking not great writing but so they they the nice little Mexican lady who's maybe like 25, she stands on the manhole cover and you see this weird alien world. Maybe it's like Mars, the red dirt, whatever, lots of weird crystals flowing or flowing everywhere. And there's two middle-aged ladies and, and a younger version of her playing in this memory. And they're sort of playing and, and then Dr. Dr. Cumberbatch is like, so what's that? And she goes, that's home. And then, this thing happens and they the two middle-aged ladies are sucked into a vortex because of her she not being in control of her superpower that's the most straightforward way to explain this five second clip and then they walk off and she's crying and she's crying and she's like yeah they're dead and then benedict cumberbatch dr strange looks at her and goes if your moms are anything like your daughter, they're out there somewhere and they're still alive. And it's like, hey, hold on a minute. It was never explained that those are her lesbian moms. So you're trying, you're trying to, you're trying to crowbar in every single like woke thing in one character. And you, and then not only are you trying to do that. Okay. So. I recognize that I might be an asshole here. I might be the asshole. This is like a, am I the asshole? Which is something where Julie Kennedy would always send me these um, uh, screenshots from Reddit, from the subreddit, am I the asshole? Because it's a very interesting, it's really a fundamental question where you, you're in a situation and you're annoyed about something. And to have the humility and the wherewithal to ask, am I the asshole? Is the first step towards enlightenment. 
Because in any situation where there's conflict, you should probably be asking that question. That isn't to say that you always are the asshole, but if you're humble enough to ask and maybe even bring in someone else's perspective and to describe it objectively and to be like, this is what's happening. And I really would like to know, like, am I the asshole here? It's a great subreddit. Also, Julie texted me yesterday and was like, my mom listens to your podcast. So yeah, if, if Laura Kennedy is listening to this right now, you know, sh- shout out. Um, you know, if um, Madison's mom is listening to this right now, Mia, you know, hey. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's not get carried away. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> the thing about the wokeness is that it's not just that you're taking, you you have this legacy media franchise built around a white guy so you have to have the other character be not just a person of color but also the child of two lesbian parents but it's also that you don't know how to write it properly so it was never explained like how if you just see a five second clip where there's two middle-aged ladies and a a 10 year old kid is it safe to assume that those are two lesbians and that's their kid like the idea that we're all so i don't know how to explain this i don't know i feel like i'm coming coming off super alt-right and i don't mean that but it was funny because um i guess what i'm saying is it's funny when there's a lot of wokeness and we're and, and no character in the show ever does that thing that all actual human beings do where they're like oh okay interesting interesting your parents are lesbians huh that's interesting because that's how all like okay so bad people will react with negativity but normal people will or good people will react they will not not react they'll be like oh oh, okay like that's the good person reaction like if you meet someone and you have a pleasant interaction with them and then an hour and a half into it, you you find out that they're like, you know, a lesbian or like whatever. You're like, oh, okay, huh? And to to not say that, to pretend to to have Disney force me to pretend that people don't react, it's like, bro, because because in Lightyear they do the exact same thing. Lightyear is a Disney movie where they take the Buzz Lightyear character and they give him an entire movie. And because the whole movie is built around this white guy, they have to make the other character a person of color who is a lesbian also. And then because it's funny how similar these movies are, because all of the Hollywood big budget world is obsessed with quantum physics and the multiverse and time travel because of the visuals that you can you know without apology put in front of the viewer when you say it's about the multiverse lightyear is also about that it's about something where he like he travels at the speed of light so he's traveling at one time on t- one timeline and then the rest of earth or whatever maybe it's not even earth it's some other planet the rest of the planet, everyone else travels at a much faster pace. So all the other characters age and die. And then when he comes back, he meets the grandchild of his best friend. And now he's best friends with, and and they're the same age. So now he's best friends with the grandchild of his best friend. And then she's also a lesbian. And at no point is it explained. 
there's a lot of like not explaining in these movies. At no point is it explained. I don't know. Maybe this is a true am I the asshole and I'm honestly not sure. I might be the asshole. But it's like, is it, are you an asshole if you meet a same-sex couple and they have a kid and you're like, and you're like, so is this a future where you we have a technology to meld you guys' DNA or is that something we can already do? Or like, is this biologically one of you guys' kids? Or like, like, I understand that that's a rude, very personal question that maybe you don't ask the first time you meet them. But like, am I the asshole for being curious about that? Like, if I was friends with someone for years, am I the as- asshole for, for being curious about the answers to that question? Ugh, I feel like the... I feel like the asshole. Also, I don't know. There's something about it that feels super formulaic in how... Lightyear and Doctor Strange have the exact same stuff where it's like, yes, I guess we're doing the multiverse. And yes, yeah, anyway. It's hard because I I recognize that if you make something a reveal, like if you <laughs> if you reveal that a character is a, is a lesbian, <laughs> then you're being fucking weird. Because it's not a reveal. Like it's not a... <laughs> It's not something that should be accompanied with some a piano going like this. Dun, dun, dun. She was a lesbian. Like, it's not a reveal like that. But to pretend like when it is revealed, no one is like, oh, okay. It's like, come on. Are we not allowed to be like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Huh. I didn't know that. I didn't know. <sighs> Whatever, dude. Yeah. Makes me brings me back to this employee party we had like six months ago where um this one lady at the party she was like hey Joachim come here I want you to meet my partner and that's the moment when I found out that she was lesbian and I was like oh huh okay but then I got in my head about it because I was really stressing out because I was at a party and everyone else was drinking and I'm not drinking and parties really stress me like I'm really tense and weird at a party where everyone else is drinking and there's alcohol everywhere and and I'm having a LaCroix and I'm like with each hour passing I'm like oh this is not my like it's a very dangerous space for me so I'm really not my fun chill self I'm not my fun chill daytime self um so then, because I wasn't super chill, I was like, I feel like I wasn't very fun when she introduced me to her partner. And then I got in my head about it and was like, oh, she must think I'm, she must think I was like weirded out by finding out that she was a lesbian. And I don't, and then I, how do you ever recover? Like, <clears throat> you know, there's no way to fix that because like, it's, it's like saying I have, I have black friends. I'm not racist to be like, no, no, I I've hooked up with some dudes. It's we're cool. Like you can't be like, <laughs> that'd be so funny. If at that party, I was like, if at that party, I was, she was introduced me to her partner. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm being weird right now. It's not because you're a lesbian and we're good. I hooked up with some dudes. I'm just like being weird because I'm, I'm sober and everyone else is wasted. Actually, Maybe that would have been cool if I said that. You know? Honest narration. 
maybe that's what would have been. Maybe honesty is the best policy. Oh, well, Manderson, if you're listening to this, that's that's what I should have said. And that brings me to my next topic. Let me let me drink a water first. It's suddenly extremely hot in here. Peach mango, disgusting tropical, sunny select. Oh, it's hot in here, and that's cold, and that's fizzy, and that's pretty good. That's not too sweet, actually. Peach and mango. I mean, it's a little bit too sweet, but it's not like the last one. Yeah, that's a 7 out of 10. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I'll keep drinking that one. Um, Here's the thing. Today is 4th of July, and today is three years since I quit drinking. It's my sobriety date today. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really talked about it because it's not that good of a story, but I don't know how I ended up in a meeting exactly three years ago. I was listening to a lot of the different podcasts where the guys are sober. Theo Vaughn and Bobby Lee and all the different guys. Especially Theo Vaughn. And they were talking about going to meetings, and and they just made it seem cool. Like maybe something I could do too. Maybe something that isn't lame. And so I... Yeah, I mean... I don't know, should I talk about it? I was thinking about... I went to a meeting today, and I was thinking about it, and people were talking about their rock bottom, and... And I was thinking about how it's not really that I, someone said alcohol ruined my life. And it's not really that's what happened to my life. It's more, excuse me, a little sparkling burp there. Um, it's more that my life stayed ruined. It's more that I never got anywhere. <clears throat> I just started off, started from the bottom and stayed at the bottom. Started from the bottom and, and like Drake, and then just never got anywhere. My life was just really boring and really empty and really f- sort of not, I didn't fail because I didn't try at anything. And I just had nothing and I... Yeah, I mean, my net money, it's like I never had, I never ever had more than $2,000 to my name for the first 32 years of my life. Because I was actively drinking. And then when I quit drinking, it just shot up. It's crazy. Um, yeah. I went to a meeting today and this one guy was like telling the story about how he was fucking shit up in this town, getting wasted in the town every day. And then he woke up one day in his car and the sheriff was knocking on his window and the sheriff pulled a gun on him and the sheriff was like, get out of this county. If I ever see you in this county again, I'm going to shoot you. That's what he said. It's like, wow, <laughs> they're allowed to do that. It's, isn't that a 
fucking hilarious way to do your job as law enforcement in, in 2022. I don't think this happened in 2022 because it was like when he got sober like five years ago or whatever. But in the modern era, like just imagining that in a Swedish context, this is very funny to me to be like, as if the problem is that he's in this county, you know? Like it's such a crazy American idea that there's infinite space and resource and just put just put it somewhere else. Just push it off push it off. Just kick the can down the road. Just send these immigrants to the cities. Just put the Antifa, just put just put these criminals on a bus and send them to I don't know. Everyone in America on both sides of the political spectrum have stories about the enemies doing that. Like liberals in liberal cities are like, yeah, it's a little bit fucked up because like everyone in Idaho, every town in Idaho, they take all their homeless people and the, the mayor puts them on a Greyhound bus and pays the Greyhound bus driver to just drive them to Seattle and drop all the homeless people off there. So that's why we have so many homeless people. And I don't know if that's true. And then all the people in right wing country are like, yeah, at the border, they just pack all those immigrants up on a bus and they just drive them out to our town. And that's why we have gangs now. We didn't used to have gangs here in Texas. I don't know. Maybe they don't say that about Texas. Maybe it's more like a Pennsylvania, you know, you're in right wing Pennsylvania. And it's like, now we have gangs because they, they put the immigrants here from the border. Obama sent the immigrants to vaccinate your kids. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy, bro. What was I talking about? I feel good about my sobriety, though. It's definitely something that's... <clears throat> I got to keep going to meetings, and it's... it's um, I want to drink. The problem is that I find it very hard to find joy without drugs and alcohol. So I live my life and my life is okay. And I do stuff and I, the stuff is kind of fun. But when you're sober, it's like only kind of fun. And then there's always that feeling like if I just got wasted right now, I would feel this incredible joy at least. This incredible joy that I never feel in sobriety. But that's a lie. That's a lie that my brain is trying to tell me. Every part of that is a lie. If I got wasted, I would be miserable. I would be absolutely miserable. And the thing about getting wasted, I was always, I'm always stressed out. And so I'm sober and I'm stressed out and I'm trying to be happy and I'm a little bit happy, but I'm also stressed out at the same time. And I'm just like, if I just got wasted, I wouldn't feel stressed out. And then when I get wasted, it's like, I was always stressed out when I was wasted. So it's a lie. And then I like, yeah, I would get hung over like two beers in, I would sit in the evening having had two beers and I would already be hung over. And it's like, how does that happen? I started drinking an hour ago. How am I hung over right now? And that's how it works. Yeah. Three years sober. Yeah. A lot of good things in the meeting today. Just a normal meeting. 
Oh my God. <clears throat> similar, similar thing is that I am um, was talking about a relationship six months ago or whatever at a meeting and all these people came up to me and talked about it and we talked about it a bunch with a bunch of different people and then I broke up with that girl and I like, it's just like the thing at the restaurant where I tell people I came here because I married an American woman and then I forget to mention immediately that I got a divorce and then it's too late because now they're so happy about everything and asking me questions about my wife and if we have kids and stuff and it's too late to be like, nah, I'm divorced. Same thing is like in the meetings, all these people are asking me about this girlfriend that I broke up with like forever ago. And it's just like, uh, bad. It's bad because it's like, well, it's bad because the, the reality is that that's the thing I should be talking about because I have drugs and alcohol addiction under control, but <clears throat> the girl stuff is always a struggle. Because to feel, to feel loved and appreciated is like one of the, to feel loved and appreciated by a romantic partner is one of the ways that we can feel joy even in sobriety. It's a very, very good feeling. Yeah. Hmm. I gotta go, I guess, because I gotta get ready for work, and I don't know where I'm gonna take a shower. I don't want to take a shower here. This is a fucking COVID nest now. Yeah. Here's a funny headline I saw. Chinese police detained woman who threw cor cob, cob of corn off high-rise roof, hitting baby in head. The baby is alive and stable now. Police compared saliva from the corn with DNA taken from five households that bought corn that day. <laughs> Isn't there so many interesting things there? I've talked about this on the pod before, how in China, there's hella high rises, and people don't really give a shit about stuff. And so people throw the, their trash out the window a whole lot. Because if you're on the 22nd floor and you just really fucking launch that garbage out of your window, how are they ever going to lead it back to you, you know? If you launch it out there good enough, they don't even know exactly which building it came from because there's a bunch of tight high-rises standing real tightly together. So... I've talked about this before, how in, I don't know if this is all over China, but in a lot of places that the law is actually that they don't even have to figure out who did it. They can find everyone who lives in that building if you throw garbage out the window. But so they still kind of don't give a shit. So, so some lady threw a fucking cob of corn off of a roof and it hits a fucking baby in the head. Like you got to throw a lot of trash off the roof to, to, to eventually hit a baby, you know? Dude, you can fucking impale a baby with a cob of corn. I was talking to Virginia at Holbrook. We were, we were serving esquites, which is like you take the corn off the cob and you grill it or whatever. And you, um, 
and we we were making corn broth and then virginia was like oh yeah and i was looking at it and i was like corn is like so cool and you can do so many things with it and virginia's like yeah did you know because i'm in my head i'm like you can make a pipe out of it like a corn cob pipe is such a cool looking pipe that military generals in the 1930s were always general macarthur was always sucking on a corn cob pipe just sucking down some some tobacco you know and then i'm looking at him and virginia looks at me and she's like do you know they used to use these for toilet paper it's like god damn that's a crazy idea, but it's not a bad idea because uh, I'm assuming that I have kind of a hardy butthole, like not a sensitive butthole, a cob of corn, like the ridges are probably real good at getting you really, really getting you all neat and ready, you know, a little bit of moisture, Jesus Christ, probably wipes you real clean. seems like it would take a lot of corn though like after a month of a household using corn instead of toilet paper don't you have like an enormous pile of poop covered corn cobs seems seems like there's a couple of kinks you gotta iron out with the logistics of it but you know but i believe you i believe you virginia the Americans are, they're industrious and they're, you know, not industrious. They come up with ideas. Ingenious. Ingenious ideas. <clears throat> anyway. Anyway, I love you guys. Thank you for listening to episode 95 of the podcast. <laughs>